Hello and welcome to the Bootleg Equine Behind Stable Doors podcast. I'm your host, Jess Mastrini, a horse rider, trainer, and coach, and I'm ready to bring to you an insight into other everyday questions. I'll get to the deep nitty gritty stories of other people in hopes to motivate, inform, and encourage you all on your own journeys. On today's episode, I am joined by Lauren Haig of Haig Equestrian. She is a Canterbury-based Grand Prix-level dressage rider, trainer, coach, you name it, she does it. We go through what it's taken to get her to this level, including the ups and the downs, and where she's planning to go to next. And I hope you enjoy it. So here we go, behind her stable door. I am joined by the lovely Lauren. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So you are a Canterbury-based rider, trainer, coach, god in dressage. <laughs> Goddess. That's, that's stretching it. But you have had quite a journey, I guess yeah. a journey, yeah. with horses. And you're currently sitting in your second season of Grand Prix. Yeah. How's that? It's sort of been an accumulation over time, really, like... It's been such a journey to get there, and I've got there, and now I'm almost just like, oh, we're next. Like, mm, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I kind of get to the top, <laughs> and then yeah, didn't think I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the top yet. I've got to Grand Prix, but there's still a hell of a lot of improvement, and yeah, more stuff to. You're aiming take for off the list. international, or yeah, one day if I have the horsepower and the finances and all of that sort of thing. At the moment, we're just sticking around here never say never though yeah so like you say you've had quite a journey yeah so a lot of people you know you now for what you're doing what they see you doing in the ring you're at where a lot of people want to be at wearing tails <laughs> cantering down your center yeah. line yeah all the jazzy stuff you've done horses for it longer uh, than you could walk yeah because mum was really really horsey yeah in her day and she had me on a pony literally before I could walk so it was sort of bred into me really yeah and I kind of had no choice in the matter at the time but yeah I'm glad it happened that way yeah and you so you started before you could walk yeah which is yeah. not surprising at all if you've seen Lauren ride <laughs> you'll understand you started there progressed your way through ponies did you have the typical pony that used to throw you off and no I never really did I still remember my first pony it was called Sparkle um <laughs> but I know mum got rid of him pretty quickly. I think there must have been a reason for that, but I can't remember what it was. Um, Yeah, but my first main pony was called Poppy, Mm -hmm. um, and she was a show pony who I went from leg rein right through to the open 12-2 ring in the show ring. Showing, yeah. Yeah, and sort of did everything with her, really, like mounted games, pony club, attempted, literally attempted jumping. No, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to be an eventer when I was younger. Well, I guess if your mum was an eventer. Yeah, yeah. Didn't quite work out that way, but... And so, that's your first pony, Poppy. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is where you came into your first real success. Yeah, so with Poppy, I won quite a lot in the leg rein ring, obviously with mum towing me around as well. First ridden ring, like the New Zealand Grand National Show, that... Oh, it doesn't even happen anymore, but God, back in the day, that's making me feel really old now. <laughs> I think it was 2002. Yeah, we won quite a bit at the Great National Show. Um, Canterbury AMP. 
sort of the whole AMP circuit around Canterbury, really. So when you were young, you were quite still very heavily South Island based yeah. with your competition, but yeah. you were top of what you were doing. Yeah. So Poppy, she was sort of the kickstarter of everything, I suppose you'd say. And then from her, I moved on to another quite good show pony, Sid. Um, same thing, he won quite a bit. And then he unfortunately got colic, had to have surgery, so I was stuck with nothing to write. Um, and we sort of, mis- not mistakenly, but a bit of a fluke, got offered the lease on a dressage pony, so took it up, and yeah, that sort of that was the start of the whole new... where it all began. Dressage chapter. Wow. So, you fell into dressage. Yeah. Almost by accident. Yeah. Like, we didn't go out intending to get a dressage pony, it just kind of happened and at this point so you say that you you almost touched on jumping (laughs) almost yeah almost but falling into this pony what were your plans with it did you know that this is where you'd go into dressage or did you think Um, that you'd have a different route with it? I don't I didn't have any set plans really I sort of thought oh yeah I'll give it a go but I took him in the show ring a bit as well Mm mm-hmm but when I first got him, he was such a different ride. Like, I couldn't even canter him for a month because he was such a hot little number. <laughs> so it took me a while to learn how to ride him. But once I did, we sort of just clicked and got into a really good dressage trainer with Bruggs Nichols. Mm-hmm. Learned how to ride properly and <laughs> went from there. Yeah. I love that phrase. So many people will say it. I know I've caught myself out as well saying it learn how to ride properly <laughs> i still don't think i've learned how to ride properly half the time i don't honestly has anyone i think there's Ooh, there's that's an open-ended question exactly yeah <laughs> exactly so with this pony you, you fell into dressage yeah. you found a really good trainer you got underway mm-hmm. and competed where did you compete big shows or yeah so we kind of started off at the bottom in the dressage i mean my first show was in the dressage arena was down i think Timwell Pony Club and we got like 50 something percent and (laughs) I yeah I was like oh god this no I'm not good at this but somehow persisted worked our way up and ended up winning the children's section of the world dressage challenge when it was at Christchurch in 2007 and off that we were on the New Zealand team which was pretty cool Blimmin' heck, so So, from not being able to canter this horse to New Zealand (laughs) team. Yeah, yeah, no, it was pretty cool and a bit of a learning curve as well. Yeah, that's such a big achievement. And you were still really young at this point. Yeah, at the time, so I had Cracker, this was the pony, from, I want to say, when I was 10 through to about 13. New Zealand team. We just, like, (laughs) let that echo behind you, 10 to 13. Yeah, yeah. Freaking heck. That's big. Yeah, I don't think I sort of realised at the time. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. But <laughs> I just want to ride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go back to school the next day. Like, she'll be right. <laughs> I remember competing as a kid at nowhere near that level. And the next day going to school, was it was actually depressing. <laughs> like, I just wanted to be back at the horse shows. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember going back to school some of the time. If I'd had a good weekend away at shows and I'd have to do show and tell or get out the front of assembly. Oh, no. and it was awful. Like, I hated that part. Actually, the worst when you're into horses as a kid yeah. as well because it's it's not cool. Yeah. As soon as you hit, like, 18, it's cool. Oh, no. 18, still a put, like, I was the crazy horse kid. Oh, were you? High school. I saw, yeah, my friends at primary school, we were literally the ones at lunchtime that would be cantering, cantering around. around. So was yeah. I. Yeah. So was I. Yeah. And it's kind of sad when you look back on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Cracker, New mm-hmm. Zealand team, 
And you really quickly moved on to horses. Yeah, so I, or well, I still am, obviously, <laughs> really tall. Um, so I outgrew him pretty quickly and got my first hack when I was 13. So I had her sort of waiting in the wings while I was doing my last few shows on him before he was sold. Um, and yeah, then moved on to her the next season. So when you moved on to hacks, did you then move on to competing against adults? Yeah. Was that really tough? I don't remember. Were you still quite ignorant? Yeah. <laughs> I think I was. Like, I don't know. I just didn't really see it as a big sort of issue, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I just went out and I just did it. Yeah. Like, I, I just, there was no other choice. I, just I think to I need it. to take that <laughs> and, like, embed it in my brain yeah. for when I go out now. Just do it. <laughs> no, okay, yeah. 13 on hacks against... Mm. Literally, no offense, think, middle-aged woman. Yeah, I think what helped though is because with Cracker, I did a couple of elementary, which is nowadays level three tests, and back then they didn't have those level classes just for ponies. So I'm pretty sure I had already competed against okay. Hanks on him. Right. So it kind of made it a bit easier of a transition too. Got it. Got it. So you moved on to this mare. Yeah. And at this point, the highest level in dressage you had gone was level three. Which, which is, is elementary. Elementary. Yeah. We will go over in a minute the levels because they still confuse me. <laughs> oh, they, they confuse everyone. They still confuse me. They yes. change them all the time. Yeah. But just so people can get an idea. Mm. So at that point, elementary. And you moved on to the hack. Yeah. Did you go straight into elementary with this hack? No. So she was really green because um, we didn't have the luxury of going out and buying a schoolmaster or buying something that was already up through the grades. So I kind of just had to do... Really got thrown in the deep yeah, end. Yeah, <laughs> do the hard yards myself with this young green wombat, which was a real step up. Yeah. So I started back at prelim or level one. And yeah, it took a while with hacks because I was so young and wasn't up to sort of riding the whole different brain and mentality that they have. So I went through a few where it just didn't work. And then my first sort of real horse that well, it took a few years for something to click was Matrix or Worldwide Warrior. And that's sort of when it started properly, I suppose you could say. Yeah, and that's where you started moving up through the levels? Yeah, so he was my first one to even take back through a couple of levels again. Mm -hmm. So he got up to elementary again or level three. And then unfortunately we had the earthquakes down here in Canterbury. And don't know what he did, but he obviously just really panicked. And from then on, he was just always lame. And that would have been devastating. Yeah, it was pretty gutting. And we'd been around around circles, spent a fortune, vets, chiropractors, <laughs> you name it. We tried it and there was sort of no real conclusion. So he just became a paddock ornament, sat in the paddock. Uh, well, he just wasn't rideable. Mm. So how did you feel your time? Do you did you find another horse, or were you you're at school? I'm assuming. Yeah. Still? Yeah. So around this time, I was I think year eleven at high school. So 16, 15, 16. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So still and pretty I, young. Yeah. And I, by then, I'd started taking on the odd pony or horse to work for other people, not on a big scale, just here and there, just yeah. for a bit of extra money. And it was next to no money really <laughs> when I look at it. But at the time, I thought it was great. Um, and then that's when Elmo came into the picture, or my current horse, Westford Lanciano. We got him in December 2010. So 10 years ago. Yeah. It's a long time. <laughs> it is a really long time. <laughs> cool. Okay, so you did a little bit of client horses, and yeah. through all this, so you were still, you're very heavily dressage. Yeah. 
But like you said, your early days were showing. Mm-hmm. And you were still doing a little bit of showing throughout? Not a huge amount because I didn't really have a horse that was suitable to do it. And I'm the sort, if I'm going to do something, I want to be competitive. All in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got the odd catch ride again on clients' horses. Mm-hmm. Um, like I rode one wee park hack that won a bit at the New Zealand Grand National Showcase show. Oh, just, just one a bit. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it wasn't really any serious showing at that point. I'd kind of just ridden it off and was focusing on dressage. Because when I met you, so I met Lauren last year, 2019, and at the time you were just about ready to hang up your show gear for good. Yeah. No, I've done that completely now. Yeah, it's gone. It's dusted. <laughs> yeah, done. sold it all. Right. I'm going back. Jumping ahead there, sorry. So we'll <laughs> rewind again 10 years ago. You got Elmo. Still had show gear. <laughs> what was your intention with Elmo to show him? No. 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 Have you seen him? Yes. Yeah, no, he's... Poor Elmo. I love him to bits, but no, he's definitely no show pony. (laughs) Yeah, no, okay, okay. And when you got Elmo, he was... So, he was... Green, wasn't he? Yeah, he he was a just-broken-in five-year-old, and the people that owned and bred him left him quite late to start because he was so big. You really love a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was as gangly as they come. Like He couldn't even canter a 20-meter circle when we got him. But somehow we saw something in him, so he took a gamble, and it's, yeah, really paid off. So for people that people that follow you and see mm-hmm. you around Canterbury, and even on the internet will know, or well, maybe they won't, but Elmo's huge. <laughs> he's, he's, he's enormous. He's Yeah, he's 17.3 or 180 centimeters. And because Lauren is incredibly tall she makes him look like a park hat yeah so if you see him in photos or see him out at shows from a distance he'll just look normal size because yes. my long legs around him but yeah. you get up close to him and he's huge so to get a big horse and obviously i i can say this because i've seen him yeah and he have you ridden you've yes, ridden, I've ridden yeah. <laughs> yeah i've ridden him you said i've got to get this around 60 by 20 and i said he is a 60 by 20 <laughs> His neck is literally the length of my entire yeah. body. Yeah. <laughs> but green, gangly. <laughs> what was the thinking of, yep, I can I can collect this up and I can get this going? I think it was just a matter of, at the time, you know, because at the time my parents were buying my horses for me, it was just a matter of what we could afford. Right. And finding the best of what we could for that budget. And there was a lot of doubt when you bought him, wasn't there? Yeah. So my trainer at the time, she... Initially, you know, she said, oh, yeah, take the gamble, buy him. And then we did a bit of work with him, and she sort of was like, oh, actually. Second guessing it. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably not going to go past medium level. Which um, is level. So that's level four. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, do a season at Novice and sell him because he's not going to be any good. You need to get a different, a better horse. Mm. Um, and that at the time, that just wasn't doable. Yeah. So between my parents and I, we sort of just decided, well, no, I'm going to have crack to make on. this work. Yeah. And then you did crack on with him. Yeah. And I believe your first show didn't go quite to plan. <laughs> wasn't horrific. The start of it was horrific. Like, he was feral the first couple of times we took him out. I still remember, yeah, he was, like, to the point where he was just, like, lunging sideways, grabbing branches off trees and yanking, because he just didn't know what to do with himself. Yeah. Um, and there was no way I'd get on him without lunging him first at you, the shows. You started him, you really started him from dot. Yeah, like, the owner that had him before us, um, she had done a little bit with him. Like, mm. he sort of, you know, had the basics. Yeah. Um, she had done, God help her, cross-country schooling on him. 
Oh, and really? seeing the photos and knowing what he jumps like, I can only imagine how awful that would have been. <laughs> but yeah, he was, I think too, it probably was a combination that I was young and I was probably quite nervous on him as well then. Mm. But for whatever reason, I just stuck with him and we that just was, so got on with it. You got him 10 years ago. Yeah. And did you do your first show within the first year? Yes. So we got him in the December and I think my first show on him was the following autumn so it would have been within six months yeah yeah okay wow and then that's that's a long time just goes to show you that practice makes perfect (laughs) or not not quite perfect perfect, but (laughs) practice gets you there yeah yeah and it is doable to do it from nothing to something so you went over the years you know fast forward over a couple years you've taken him from literal walk trot tests yeah to this is where we're going to have to list off the levels. So there's in New Zealand dressage, yeah. ESNZ. Yeah. I'm very uneducated in this okay. kind of stuff. Non-graded, yeah. which is your zero test. So non-graded can run from your level zero, one, and two, which is introductory, prelim, and novice. Introductory, sorry, yeah. not non-graded. Yes. <laughs> yes, see, already caught out. Yep. And then, so once you register with ESNZ, you can do from prelim onwards. So the levels go preliminary, novice, elementary, medium, advanced medium, advanced, small tour, medium tour, and then big tour, which is Grand Prix. And yeah, something, I'm, I'm impressed I could reel that off, actually. Yeah, I've already forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like many, think that pre-St. George... Mm-hmm is the top but it's no. really only the beginning of the top yeah so pre-st george is in your small tour classes mm-hmm. which yeah is the beginning of the fei levels which is the federation equestrian international okay. so tests you'll see overseas at the big shows as well and when did you so obviously this took a few years like i say you're in your second season of grand prix now at elmo yep. when did you start transitioning into this level with him um i think think oh from memory we had our first pre-st george start i think 2015 so yeah even from pre-st george up each step up through the level it's quite a big jump so yeah yeah no it was it was 2015 and it's sort of been from then on graduating up a step each season wow what was it like going into your first your first grand prix Calm I was down terrified. Your <laughs> yeah. I still remember it was, luckily it was the freestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was my own test. Right. So I didn't sort of have to stick to a pre-scribed anything. Yeah. So I could wing it if I had to, but I still remember I was standing back at the float and I had to have a few shots of port before <laughs> I even got on. And yeah, because in the warm-up too, a lot of people have probably seen Melissa Galloway. Mm-hmm. On Windermere Joe Bay, she's the best in the country at the moment. Mm-hmm. That horse, or Melissa and the horse, are freaks. They're <laughs> hugely talented in the running for Tokyo. And I was warming up next to her, and I was just felt so insignificant. I was like, oh my god, this oh. is going to be such, so embarrassing. But I did it, and for my first attempt, I was actually really, really pleased with the score. So. When you, you know, coming down your, I'm assuming your final centre line. Yeah. Sometimes people come off funny angles. Yeah. And whatever. <laughs> yeah. What was the feeling on your final salute that you had gotten from, you know, at this point, seven or eight years ago? Yeah. A horse that you couldn't get around a 20 metre circle. You were coming down your first Grand Prix 
finals into line and saluting work. How proud of yourself were you? <laughs> At the time, I wasn't even thinking of that. I was just so relieved <laughs> that it was done. I got through, I survived, and I didn't make an absolute ass of myself. Because <laughs> it was wine and cheese evening, so people were watching. But yeah, it kind of hit home a little bit when I was walking back to the float. I was like, oh my god, I've just done my first Grand Prix. You've actually got yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. I can even imagine that feeling. I mean, getting prouder, and Lauren's my coach. Getting prouder to level one. <laughs> I walked out of the arena and I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> You're going to be le- doing level two soon. So, you know, if I've got Ooh. anything to say with it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, on we go. Anyway, moving on <laughs> very swiftly. So that was your first one. Yeah. And that was, what show was that? Canterbury Champs? Yeah, Champs? that was Canterbury Champs. So wow, so this December is last year. After I met you. Mm-hmm. See, in my eyes, and not to be creepy, but you're like this big dressage star. <laughs> like, you're like, you're it. I know there's, I know there's others, but you're like, you're it. Yeah. I, and that was only last year. Yeah, I think I kind of, like, I know a few people, well, not quite a lot of people, sort of, you know, they see Grand Prix riders and like, oh my God. But for me, I'm just like, you know, I've seen how much work and how many times I've nearly given up. Yeah. I don't, yeah, it's kind of, I hear that and I'm like, really? Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> oh, just seeing someone in tails, I'm like, <sighs> you can ride a mine in your next lesson. No. <laughs> <laughs> They'll probably come back like tainted. <laughs> anyway, okay, we're really digressing here. So, in amongst all this, you have not only moved to a Grand Prix, yeah. you have studied and you haven't just. Study yeah. a basic degree. Yeah. You've studied many years <laughs> of difficult. Oh, don't don't remind me. It's painful. So you you studied law yeah. and criminal law. Yeah. Seven years, and you came out of your final year. Yeah. And you said, you know what? I'm gonna do horses full time. <laughs> yeah. So I started off uni with good intentions. So I sort of thought, oh, I'll do law. You know, I'll be able to find some sort of job because you can digress off in different directions thought I would give me enough money to buy the horses I want stuck with it got to my second to last year and I was like actually you know what I can think of nothing worse than sitting in an office all day thinking about when can I get home and work my horses and I believe you finished quite well at uni didn't you yeah so I've come away and I've got a law degree and a criminal justice degree um, still haven't actually done the graduation ceremony because of COVID stuffed a few things up and I'm shocking with deadlines so <laughs> I may have missed one of those but I have finished it um, but yeah I came out and last year in particular it was kind of a weird one because I was sort of in the middle of do I follow yeah. what I've just studied seven years and or haven't spent but going to be paying back an enormous yeah. student loan on it must have been so nerve wracking making that decision yeah. going you know what yeah. I'm going to try this. Yeah. And if it doesn't help, God help me. <laughs> I think it helped though because the last probably couple of years at uni, I was effectively writing and teaching full time anyway. Yeah. Okay. And amongst it all. Um, so I sort of thought, well, actually, if I can do this and make reasonable money while I'm studying. Well, because uni didn't take a back seat for you <laughs> at all, did it? <laughs> no. Yeah. Writing was my, shouldn't have been. But it was my priority I, the whole way through. Because I'm of the age of a lot of my friends at my age, they are just finishing up uni yeah. this year or next year. Uh, maybe some finished a bit sooner. I'm not sure with law. But all they do is study. Yeah. Oh, God. I study do and cry and 
Yeah, for me, when I had an assignment due, I'm a shocking last minute person. I would, I would leave it, like, I'd know all my stuff, but I'd just leave it to the last minute, pull a couple of all-nighters, ridiculous amounts of coffee. I would go down to the four square and I would buy study snacks. Study snacks. <laughs> study snacks. And I would come back with this huge pile of absolute junk and just work my way through and just get it done. I just can't believe that you studied law, criminal <laughs> law. You taught and you worked client horses. You got your horse to Grand Prix I, level. Just to throw, I also had a part-time job as well over... Nah, get out. But, <laughs> get out here. September 3 to March, like working from about 3 in the afternoon till 3 in the morning at weddings and like behind the bar, hospitality type So where were you doing your study, like behind the bar? Just about. Okay. Like I still remember sometimes if I had an exam, I'd be taking my study stuff with me to work. And in my break, which were few and far between, I would just, yeah. Bloody hell. But it was only like two days a week, that one. So it wasn't like it was okay. every night. But but then you were still working with horses yeah. too. So you're still working. And then, of course, so you are now very well known for schooling, mm-hmm. sales on behalf, a little bit of braking. Yeah. Training your own horses, literally producing yourself mm. and your own horse. And you really see that that's going to keep going. Where do you want to take it from there? You want to keep... Yeah, I think I want to keep... Like it to become a long term thing. Yeah. Um. Whether it does or not, I'm not sure. But I'm a pretty casual, go with the flow type person. So if I, you know, five years I'm sick of it, then yeah. I'll just, you know, I've got my degrees to fall yeah. back on. <laughs> so it won't be a complete waste. So you can use your degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, easy, easy. Just it's fine. Yeah. No. Okay. And do you have plans to produce another horse to Grand Prix? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's. To get the you breed a free, a free, a few, <laughs> free. nearly free. So yeah, to buy the horses with the breeding and the talent behind them to get to the high levels, you're talking tens of thousands. Hmm. Which uh, in your uni degree, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't don't. Sorry, I'm being a bit cheeky. In. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. Um, which you know at this point I just can't do, and I've had you know I've had support from my parents the whole way through, but they're not in a position to be able to do that either. Yeah. So I've sort of come to the conclusion, right, you know, it's got to happen somehow. I don't take no for an answer. So I've started the mission of breeding my own. That's cool. Yeah, so in the paddock, (laughs) I have a monster (laughs) two-year-old. She's just turned two, and she is about 16. She's enormous. She's bigger (laughs) than me. And I've also got a yearling, but he's almost the opposite. He's probably not going to be tall enough for me, so he's currently Mm -hmm. for sale. And yeah, I'm just sort of chipping away at my savings to the point where I can hopefully go out and just buy something. And you think, you really do think long term, which is something I really appreciate as another writer, because I'm very much like you. Okay, not very much like you. Very much like you in the sense that producing your own. Yeah. You take a baby and you take it to where you take it. And you don't just go, well, I want to get here next season. So I'm going to do everything, disregard the horse. Whereas you're thinking, okay, I've got a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah, give very, me a few years. Very long term. Yeah, yeah. The waiting, it's frustrating. Yeah, like especially when you see other people that are sort of you know come through the grades as you. They've got to the FEI levels, and then they've just got this absolute battalion of young horses behind them. Yeah, and it is. It's frustrating, but I just have to play the long game because I don't yeah. have the finances to 
go out and spend a small fortune or drop a mortgage on a team of horses. I think it's more rewarding as yeah. well. Knowing yeah. that, like, especially going back to Elmo as an example, you got him as, like you say, a gangly green horse. Yeah. And you're where you are now, and that segues you into you furthering it yeah and doing it more and producing more and And i think too like he's the first horse i've produced to that level yeah and so he's automatically going to be the horse that i've made all my mistakes on yeah so the next horse i train through i'd like to think in theory yeah it will be a quicker process and i will do a better job of it as well because i've learned so much from having trained one through there already yeah yeah i never really i mean it's kind of one of those things that sitting on the sidelines which, as a level one, <laughs> level one rider, I don't even know what it's called, prelim. Yeah. Yep. yep. Prelim. You kind of, it's like you say, people kind of see you in your glory of what you're doing yeah. now, but they don't realize the hard yards yeah. that have gone into it. Yeah. And I say that sitting in prelim, I've had my fair share of tears on yeah. my little pony, <laughs> but to think, okay, I've got my pony to level one. You've got your horse mm. to Grand Prix. The amount of times there has been bucket loads of blood, sweat, and tears yeah. gone into that. And so many times, too, where I've just thought, stuff it, I'm just going to give up and become a bloody lawyer. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think, you know, when the times where I have thought, you know, I'm going to give up, I've then thought, well, well actually, what am I going to do with myself if I don't write? Yeah, and, and you've come this far as well. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things, like, when you get to a certain point, there is a tipping point of either this is it, you pursue it. Mm-hmm. Or this is it, you give it up. And yeah. I guess when you, especially with horses, to get to a certain point and go, no, it's such a waste. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it's a, it's actually a life and a career, not just yeah. for you, but for a horse. For, for a horse of that level and that standard, it's a job. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's what they do. And it's hard because, too, you're li- in dressage, you're literally paying your entry fees to be judged <laughs> by other people. When someone put it to me like that, I thought I second guessed it. I was like, maybe I just happy hack. And it's like people, I think, you know, sitting on the sidelines, it's so easy to be critical. You know, you watch something that's in the arena and be like, oh, you know, that person should be riding this way or that way. But they don't actually realize how hard it is. Yeah. And my comeback is always, well, you sit on it and show me how to do it. Yeah, well, exactly. And just to jump in again, I love jumping in, (laughs) but... Because I've had a ride on Elmo. Yeah. And I know for... <laughs> I think I've still got a video of that somewhere. Me being bounced out of your saddle. <laughs> but being able to hop on your horse that does ride at that level, mm-hmm. I have never <laughs> ridden something that can just flying change. Not yeah. that I could do it on him. But how rewarding is... I know for me it's so rewarding to be able to just put someone on yeah. and know, what you know what, I, I've done that. Yeah. And also you did that with me uh... because I'm your student. <laughs> If I put someone on Elmo, I kind of cringe because he, no, he's so bad. He gets someone else on him and he'll just, you see his ears flick back and he'll be like, ah, gotcha. And if they're cantering around the side of the arena, he'll just sink his bum down. Yeah. And because he's massive, he'll just bugger off in this massive extended canter. Exactly what he did with me. Down the long side and they can't stop him because he's huge and he just becomes an absolute freight train and I'm just like, oh my God. Elmo. Because I was, I was cantering Elmo and she goes, do a change. I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> do a what? <laughs> Push him down the long side, he'd do it, and then he finally got it in the next corner. But it was big. Yeah. That was big. I, yeah, I think, you know, I've been riding him 10 years now, so I'm just so used to him. And mm-hmm. people get on, I'm like, oh my God, he's huge. And I'm just like, suck it up. You'll be right. 
Yeah, then you got on my 14 one. <laughs> Pony. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... But I know, to, to go back to a serious note, <laughs> that being able to put someone on a horse you produced... Yeah. It's a pretty epic yeah. feeling. Yeah. And even, too, like, on a smaller scale, the schoolers and stuff that I get through, you know, some... They'll arrive to me completely green and inside yeah. out and upside down. And even, you know, often in four to six weeks, the owners will come back, have a ride, and it's just a completely different horse. Yeah. And I think in some ways that's just as satisfying, you know, being able to get someone else's yeah. horse to a point where they're comfortable to ride it and yeah. carry on with its education. And it's literally being able to see your hard work. Yeah. Being trans... Like, transforming a horse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, it is... For me personally, it's just as satisfying, like, having a breaker... Yeah. And seeing the riders first ride on it and they're absolutely beaming. Oh, that that's just me. as satisfying for me as going down the centre line and, you know, completing a I Grand know. Prix test. I get the warm fuzzies yeah. when I get that. Yeah. It's just like you see them and you're like, I did that. <laughs> that's really cool. But it's yeah, no, that's real cool. We did touch on where you kinda wanna head to. You wanna you wanna go beyond just Grand Prix local yeah i i'd probably put it as that i want to take it as far as i can while still having a life with it yeah like i don't want to become one of the which it is it's easy to do but become one of these people that it's just 100 percent horses yeah like i still want to have a bit of a balance yeah and you still want to enjoy it yeah as well you don't want to yeah it is really easy to get tied up in horses becoming a business yeah and I think, you know, I've been, there's been a couple of points where I've sort of become a bit, oh, probably stranded would be the word, because, you know, I'm so tied up in it, and I've, you know, I just don't have time to do mm. other things. Mm-hmm. And so I've sort of, I've gone through stages where I've lost my love for it, so to speak. You almost get a bit too tunnel vision. Yeah. You get so determined to yeah. do one thing that when it doesn't happen, it's kind of like, well. Yeah. And whereas this year I've been like, no, I'm actually, I'm making an effort. I'm going to have a social life. Yeah. I'm going to go out, spend time with friends, and it's made it so much easier to yeah. then get up the next day and be like, right, I've got horses to work. And see, it's real, and it's, it, it is really interesting yeah. to hear it because, again, like I say, people like me, we sit on the sidelines, we see you riding at this mm. level and really successful with what you're doing with horses and as a business and a job and a lifestyle. Mm. But it's really easy to miss the fact that it's not an easy lifestyle. Yeah. As desirable as it is... It's not always the easiest. No. And I think the other two, other thing as well is the people that talk about you too is people can be so critical. People can be mean. Oh, you know, and you do when you hit the point where you're, you know, you've become, I suppose you could say commercial and people talk and people come up with the weirdest theories and you hear stuff about yourself. You're like, where did that come from? Interesting. (laughs) Never heard that one before. Tell me more. Yeah. Um, but you kind of just have to block it out. Yeah. And it's, yeah, there's a lot that, you know, comes back to me and I'm like, well, that's just a load of rubbish. Yeah. I just have to ignore it and carry on with it. And if... It's so hard to do with horses yeah. though. Oh. It is so... And it, it is a really judge... I mean, everybody listening will know it's such yeah. a judgmental place. And yeah. a lot of the listeners are people that they just ride for fun. Yeah. A lot of them won't go to shows because of mm. that reason. Yeah. And that's... It shouldn't be like no. that. No, 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 no. No. Mm. Okay, well, okay, we'll go into something a little bit more fun. <laughs> We're getting a little bit sad and miserable. But it is a nice insight to have from somebody that's yeah. gotten to the top. I would call the top. <laughs> Maybe not for uh, you. Yeah, no, I wouldn't yet. <laughs> but gotten to such a high level, it is nice to hear it from 
someone and the honesty out of it. Yeah. But we'll move into a fun question. First question. Who is the one horse that you've ridden that has influenced you the most? Um, in some ways, it would have to be Cracker, the pony yeah. I was speaking about earlier, yeah. and that he got me started in dressage. But on the other hand, I'd probably have to say Elmo, because yeah. he's the first one I've really persevered with and had to sort of make into something myself. Yeah. And, yeah, push through and taking him the whole way out the grades. Yeah. Okay, and if you could try any other discipline, what would you try? Barrel racing. Really? Yeah. Why? That's well, everybody's... I was at, no, I've sort of been thinking for a while. I'd actually love to give it a go. And I was, at, I was at the rodeo the other day, and I was like, that looks like a lot of fun. Mm. But if I tried that on Elmo, he would just face dive. So... You'd have to, like, canter pirouette around barrels. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't get a very good time. But, yeah, I'd love to give it a crack at some stage. It looks pretty fun. Yeah. It's... It's, I've got a client actually that barrel races, so I might have to see yeah. if I can wiggle my way in. Because it was <laughs> recently you put up a, a photo of sitting in a Western oh, Saddle. Yes. Was that your first time? No. No? No. That was my second time in a Western Saddle. My first time was actually up in Auckland when I was probably 13, 14, when I sold um, Cracker, yeah. my dressage pony. He went up to a family, they were European. Mm-hmm. They were up in Auckland and they had. Oh, I think close to 40 horses up there. Wow. And while I was up there, I rode one. I think he was an Arab and a Western Saddle and had a couple of natural horsemanship lessons yeah. in the works. Yeah. Oh, cool. Maybe you'll try it. Maybe you'll see Lauren yeah. running down <laughs> out of the shoots. Yeah, my next challenge. I'll give up dressage and yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking no, on the podcast. That's all right. It's been fun. Yeah. And if people want to follow you or find you on social media yeah so i have my page on facebook hague equestrian um so that's i try and keep it updated but i'm a bit useless really um and also on instagram same deal just hague equestrian i'll link her handles or put her handles down in the description of the podcast but yeah thank you so much for coming that's all right thank you for having me That is all we have time for today. Thank you so much to Lauren for coming on the show and giving us an insight into what it's like at riding at that level, getting there, all the in-between. It was really, really cool to have an insider's view on it. And hopefully that motivates a few of you out there to push on with your goals, with what you're aiming for. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, if you're listening on your phone or your laptop, screenshot it, share it, tag Bootleg Equine. I love seeing who's listening and I am so thankful for the support so far. And if you think you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, get in touch because everybody loves to be a little pervy on the next stranger's story. Catch you on the next episode.